Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Pull out your notes for today's message. We're wrapping up our fall campaign. Boy, this six weeks went by really quickly. We've been talking about mercy. What a practical subject. Not exactly the most exciting subject to talk about. You know, it's not like, you know, in the years past we've done what in the world is going on on prophecy and everything? And we looked at current events, what were taking place, and whoa, that was exciting to talk about. And I remember one year we did one that focused on nothing's too hard for God and on the miracle power of God, and that was an exciting one and everything. This one, mercy, doesn't maybe reach out and catch you like those did, but this is one of the most practical campaigns that we have ever done. In fact, I've had some people tell me that to them, this is the best campaign we've ever done over all the years that we've been doing these. And I think that's probably about, I don't know, 14, 13 years or so that we've been doing fall campaigns. And so I have really enjoyed it as well because it is so incredibly practical. In fact, I asked you last week if, if doing the campaign, the messages and so forth has, has um, caused you to, to, I don't know, ha has it changed your reactions or or has it, has it changed the way you're relating to people and so forth? And, and, you know, it's been interesting, some of the reports that have come back to me. Uh, I'll just kind of give you a brief synopsis of that. In general, I've heard about how the messages, <clears throat> excuse me, have encouraged our people to take kind of a, a different approach to personal conflict and personal tension that they're dealing with some of those issues, especially it seems like that's happening in families, that there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of issues within families itself. And, and you know, I'll, I'll just tell you, if you're experiencing that, it is absolutely a fact that Satan is out to destroy Christian families. And he is doing everything he can, because if he brings the, the family down, the church goes down with it. You know, it, the, the church is only as strong as the family is. But I just want you to know that if you're going through tension in your family, God has a better plan than for you to bust up. And mercy is at the very core of that. And, and as we learn to relate to one another with this powerful truth of mercy, I believe that we can overcome Satan's plan of destruction against our families and actually see restoration. Now, some of you perhaps are in a situation that you feel right now, there's no hope for your marriage. There's no hope for your family. I want you to know that as long as there is Jesus, there is hope, hallelujah. And God can bring the miracle. A lot of it has to do with mercy. Mercy is at the core of this very thing happening. Some of our life groups took this whole series on mercy very practically and very seriously. They got busy doing some, I guess you would call just practical mercy projects, so to speak. One of our groups hosted a baby shower for a new mother, uh, a new mother to be within their group 
who just absolutely has nothing in terms of baby essentials. I'm not sure what all those essentials are, but they, she doesn't have them. And so they hosted a, a, a great baby shower and just blessed this young mother-to-be with, with what she was going to need. I mean, it touched her heart so very, very much. And then another group organized a Letters to Santa campaign. Uh, apparently, when, when you do that, I'm not sure all, all about it, but you, you raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation when you get involved with that. Now, why would they do that? It's because one of the young children that are in the group is dying of a terminal disease. And so Make-A-Wish is coming alongside this little child to grant a very special wish for a very special trip for this little child and, and, and uh, her, I believe it's a her, her parents. And so this, this life group within our church is involving themselves in this to help make that happen so Make-A-Wish can make it happen for this little child. Well, another way that mercy has affected us has been in our willingness to extend forgiveness to people who have hurt us. And it's amazing how healing that can be for us when we give forgiveness. Um, like I, I talked, we talked about that message six weeks ago, actually, about forgiveness specifically. I, I said, you know, sometimes it feels like, like people are getting away with something if we forgive them. It feels like, well, then they're getting away with it, and that's not true. When you forgive, you're actually turning an individual over to God, and God is dealing with them, and, and hopefully he'll, he'll deal with them in such a way as to bring them to Christ and they can have forgiveness of sins as well and, and restoration and fellowship, relationship with God. But ultimately, whether here on earth or in eternity, God will deal with every issue that has taken place and he'll deal with it in justice, he'll deal with it in love, but he will deal with it. And so when you forgive somebody, the healing that comes to you is incredible because you have released that burden of bitterness that's so much in your life. One of our men shared an amazing testimony uh, of how mercy really helped him in a driving situation, and I'll, I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. He pulled out onto 35th South here, be off a little bit east of here, and uh, in the, at that particular point on 35th South, you have three lanes going both directions, you know, and so he's heading westbound, and when he pulls out into the right lane, you got the center lane and the far left lane. Uh, there's nobody in the right lane. There are people in the center lane and the left lane, but nobody in the right lane. So he goes ahead and pulls out to head westbound. This, that's this direction. Well, immediately, there's a sports car on his tail end. And a guy is mad. So you know what happened. Uh, you can read between the lines. The guy is speeding down 35th. And he looks over and sees the right lane kind of empty. And so he decides he's going to just tear out there. Well, about the time he decides to do that, he's still in the center lane. Our guy pulls out into the right lane. And so immediately he has to put on his brakes and he's all mad. You know how that goes, you know. So, he's, so uh, as they're going down the street, he's really on his bumper and everything. He pulls out and pulls up next to the guy from our church. So sports car guy... Uh, he, he, uh, he puts his, his left window or his right window down and, and he starts yelling at the guy from our church, pull it over, pull it over. He wants to, to, to get in a fist fight with him, you know, over this issue, I guess. You know, and, and so 
the guy from our church, instead of responding back the same way that he was being treated, allowed mercy to come through his life. And he rolled his window down and he said, he apologized to the guy. He said, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. Would you forgive me for pulling out in front of you? And he said that the guy in the sports car just just melted, his attitude, his spirit just melted right there. Instead of so full of anger and rage, he, he, he returned the, the forgiveness. He said, well, I'm sorry, I, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me for overreacting to the whole situation? And instead of it blowing up into some big issue, what happens is they both go on their merry way and have a, a wonderful day the rest of the day. I don't know, whatever. But it, it just... I tell you, I've never been more proud of somebody in our church than I was of that guy. Because I sat there and thought, I'm not sure, God, I would have been that way. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, make me more like him. You know, I used to say, Lord, make me more like you. Now I just want to be more like this guy in our church, you know. I'm not getting close to that. I I just want to get like him, you know. And what a blessing that was uh, to my life. Uh, And I've just, like I said, never been more more proud of somebody in my life than, than I was of how he reacted to that whole situation. It just reminded me of what the wise man said in, in Proverbs 15.1. He says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And that is absolutely the truth. And there's no more important group of people for us to extend mercy to than to those who don't know Jesus as their savior. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if there's anything that we should do with mercy, it should be to reach people for the Lord. And that's not always easy to do because people who don't know Jesus often have very different values and a very different way of looking at life than people who do know Jesus. I'm not sure what necessarily the priorities are of a person who's not walking with the Lord. I suppose that can be as varied as the number of people that there are out there in the world. I I don't really know. But... I know that some people who don't live for Jesus are still very loving and very caring and sacrificial kinds of people. So, you know, not everybody, but I I know for many people who don't know the Lord, it's all about power. Um, it's, it's It's about control. It's about money. Um, it, it, it's about pleasure. It's about just themselves. Everything's, you know, very narcissistic. Just all about me, me, me. Or for some, it's all of those things. But one of the ways that you know that God is changing you is by looking at the priorities of your life. What drives us in in life ought to be what God wants to drive us in life. In other words, the priorities of our life should be what God wants our priorities to be. Our purpose in life ought to be what God wants his, that his purpose would flow through us. So that when you accept Christ as your personal savior, Jesus takes over control of your life. And when that truly happens, it's not just a matter of you coming and crying It's not just a matter of tears coming down your cheeks that you're sorry for what you've done, but there needs to be a transformation. If there's not a transformation in there, you you have to really question whether or not what has happened to you is really a life change 
and if you've really come to know Christ as your personal Savior. Because if you've done that, then you also make him the Lord of your life, and he will begin to change the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life will take a dramatic shift when Jesus takes over control. You're not living for yourself anymore. Your highest priority is not selfish interests anymore. I'm not saying that those things aren't in there. Sometimes you have to really push them down. You have to take control of it. But what I'm saying is that doesn't become the highest priority like it used to be. You're now living with a new purpose. You have what we might call a new life mission. And that mission includes extending mercy to people whose lives need mercy, and especially people who are far from God. So mercy is, if you will, a life mission for you. Where we act and where we react in ways that are often contrary to our own personal self-interest becomes letting Jesus touch others through us. So it's not just a matter of, do I like this? It's a matter of, is, can God use it? It's not, is this my preference? It's a matter of, is God using something? Is God using this? And that's what Jesus was saying, I think, when he told his disciples in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. You'll be focused primarily on a new purpose of life, which is not just to get everything your way, but to give what has been given to you, which is the mercy of God, telling people about Christ everywhere. So the greater expression of mercy, in my opinion, maybe the greatest expression of mercy, is in sharing the message of the good news with people who do not know the message or who have never experienced what the good news means. So with that in mind, I want to make just a couple of comments to you about letting mercy flow through you to touch other people's lives, especially the spiritually lost. Number one, receiving mercy qualifies you to give mercy. If you have received it, you're qualified to give it. And the reason I say that is because a lot of believers think that they, they can't share their faith because they don't know enough about the Bible to tell other people about Christ. But that's just simply not true. It doesn't matter whether you've known Christ for years and years or whether you're a brand new believer. If you have received mercy, it qualifies you to share mercy with other people. There are a few scriptures I think that are good for you to know that will help you in sharing the message of Christ. And, and let me just give you these four scriptures real quickly. They're not in your notes, but you can just jot them down in the, in the edge or in the margin or whatever. But Romans 3.23 is a good one to know because that sets the stage. It just simply says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that does is it tells people we're all in trouble. We're all sinners, all of us. So you, me, all of us, all right? So, and then Romans 6.23 gives the consequences for that. The, the wages of sin is death, all right? So you can talk about how the effect of this sin has put us in trouble. But God gave us a remedy, 
And John 1.12 says, if we will receive him, he gives us then the power to become the sons and, or the children, if you will, of God. To as many as received him, to receive Christ, they then become the children of God. So the way out of this sin dilemma is to receive Christ. And how do you do that? 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So those four scriptures have been very helpful in my life. I just memorized them. They're, they're easy to memorize, and, I, and I just, you just put it in your language and share the truth of what God's word says. Knowing those four things can help you to reach people for Christ, and, and you know anybody can learn those four scriptures fairly quickly. But if you have received God's mercy... That qualifies you to share that mercy because being a witness is simply telling what you know. That's all a witness is. It's just simply telling what you know. So if you've received it, you're qualified to tell it. All right? Now, I've shared this with you before, but uh, it's been a while. Once, a, a number of years ago, probably 20 years ago or something, I was subpoenaed to be a witness in a trial. And maybe you've gone through that. I had never gone through that before or since, as a matter of fact. It was a courtroom situation. I put my hand on the Bible, raised my hand, you know, promised to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, God, and so forth. I will tell you, I was nervous. I had never been in a setting like this. This looks very legal, very serious. The judge looked angry. You know, he looked like he wanted to smack somebody. I didn't want to be the guy he smacked, so I wanted to make sure I did everything right. So there was this judge there. There were, there were these attorneys. They were sitting at their place. There was, there was this jury box over here. You know, they're all there, and here I am, and I'm the witness, and I'm raising my hand, and I'm doing the whole thing, you know, promising to tell the truth. And I'm there thinking of all the things that can go wrong while I'm doing this. You know, what if I forget? What if I don't remember? What if I sit there and say, what, what, should I make up something? No, you better not do that, you know. But here's what I remember about that trial. All they asked me to do was to speak about what I knew. That's all. I was a witness to speak to what I knew. I didn't have to answer questions from all angles of the case. I just spoke to what I knew about. And if I didn't know about what they were asking, I simply said, you know what? I don't know what the answer to that is. This is all that I know. All I did was witness to what I knew. That's what a witness is. It's the same with Christ, with witnessing for Christ. You don't have to know the answer to every conceivable question that somebody might throw at you in order to... to Trying to uh, untrack un or detrack or derail, that's the word, derail your, your witness or your testimony. All you have to do is share what you know. Share your testimony. Now, we talked about this in fairly great detail a few weeks ago when we had Arnie Jacobson with us, uh, and he, he talked about, us, about the, being aware the, aware, the aware ministry approach to witnessing. But I found it interesting that Rick Warren also gives several good practical steps that I think are, in addition to what Arnie gave us, be good for you to, to keep in mind, and I want to share them with you. Number one, understand that you have a testimony to give. 
See, a lot of people think, well, those, those other people have the testimony. I don't have anything to share. But it's as simple as telling about something that God has done in your life. And when you think of it that way, you've got a lot to share. You've got hundreds of testimonies because God is active in your life. Just sit back and start thinking about all that God has done in your life. And when you think about, man, what a testimony this brings. It may be about how God helped you out of a financial crisis or how he helped you in a marriage family crisis or how perhaps he he helped you uh, with regards to a physical crisis. I will tell you this, that you wouldn't believe how many people have come to me and talked with me about depression because I was honest with you and shared with you that 20 years ago I went through a deep valley of depression in my own life. And because of that, I've had all kinds of people through the years that have wanted to talk with me about depression. Why? Because I've been there. Because I know what it's like. Because I know some of the faulty thinking that there is about it. And I know, you know, I don't know all the answers, but I do know some things about it. And so because I've been there, it has linked a bridge between me and other people. The same thing is true with cancer. Because Carrie's been through that and, and gone through that valley and, the, and, and the, the, the whole issues of that. The number of women that have wanted to talk to her about cancer. So the key in sharing faith is to share with people something that you know about. Something that you have experienced. Something they can relate something that you have in common. It might be Harley-Davidson motorcycles, you know? Um, Even though I don't have one anymore, probably some of you don't know that, but I sold my bike uh, last summer, but I still got the sticker on the back of the truck, you know? There it is, you know? It's it's kind of a wishful thinking thing, but whatever. Something that you have in common with other people, that may be the bridge to ultimately sharing Jesus with them. And in many ways, this is... I I will tell you, in my opinion, this is getting easier because as the world is getting more and more unkind and the world is getting more and more mean-spirited, if you let your mercy light, so to speak, kind of shine out of you, it's going to draw people and it'll draw them to you and ultimately perhaps draw them to Jesus Christ within you. Jesus said in Luke 6, 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He's saying, let God's mercy flow out of you just like God's mercy flowed into you. That's how you are to reach people. Mercy becomes the the big thing that helps us to reach other people's lives. So our greatest witness is simply showing mercy in a very unkind, unmerciful world and telling what we know and what we have experienced. And that's exactly what the early church did, the early disciples did, in fact, I was thinking about that this morning, and I threw this scripture into the message. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, look at what he says here. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, get this, whom we have heard, whom we've seen, we saw him with our own eyes, we touched him with our hands, he is the word of life. In other words, he is saying, this is who we have seen, this is what we've heard, this is what we've experienced. I've gotta tell you about who we've seen and what we've heard and what we've experienced and that, folks, is being a witness for Jesus Christ. Just that right there. It's my experience with God I can share. I may not be able to answer every question about the Big Bang Theory. 
but I can definitely talk to you about what Jesus has done in my life. Uh, years ago, we used to sing a hymn around Easter time, especially. It's called He Lives. He Lives. Christ Jesus Lives Today. Um, he walks with me and talks with me along life's merry way, narrow way, whatever. What is it? Narrow way. Yeah, it's been a while since I, I just came to my mind. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. Now, here's the part. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That's exactly the thing I'm talking about. This is what I've experienced. This is who I know. This is who walks with me. Therefore, let me tell you about him. All right? I can't prove he's alive. I can tell you this, though. He lives within my heart. See? So that's the way this works. Okay. Number two. Start looking for people's needs. So you got to get your eyes off yourself and start looking for people's needs. Listen to what they're saying. Many people will give you the key to reaching them if you'll simply listen to them. You'll hear about a hurt or you'll hear about a disappointment or maybe they'll tell you about some dream they have for their future and that can be a doorway into their soul. That can open up. That'd be a bridge to their life. Maybe your kids play soccer together. This is going to build a friendship, and it opens a door. Maybe you work together. It opens the door. Maybe you're dealing with a common health issue. It opens the door. Instead of saying, God, why do I have this coming on me? Maybe you can start saying, God, how can you use what's on me to touch somebody else who's also going through it? You know, that, that's a way to look at it. It opens the door. Maybe it's a common loss or a death that you've gone through, loss of a job, Loss of a marriage or a, or a death of a spouse, it opens a door. Maybe you're common business owners, it opens a door. Philippians 2 4 says, Don't look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So when we take an interest in others, it's the greatest way of showing your love for them. I, I was, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about a, a ministry couple that years ago, Carrie and I kind of befriended. And uh, in, in, in the city that we were at at that time. And, and uh, you know what? They, they were a very successful ministry couple. And, and because of that, they were lonely. They, they, they weren't, you know, you know how people can be. They just weren't included in with others. They, they felt very lonely. Well, we decided we were going to befriend them. And we did. And, and we, whenever we'd go out with them for lunch or for dinner or whatever... Carrie and I would pretty much just sit and listen to them talk. And uh, we, you know, we, we would throw a few things in there every now and then, but we would kind of just listen to them talk. And you know what came out of that? Now, not their salvation because they're already saved, but what came out of that was a lifelong friendship that has dynamically blessed our lives through the years. So show an interest in other people, look at them, listen to them, and if you do, it just might open the door to be able to share Christ with them or if nothing else, create a new friend. All right, number three, don't be offended by their sin. Um, when they open up, you'll learn about stuff in their life that can be shocking. You'll kind of think to yourself, I didn't know people could do stuff like that. Um, but let God's mercy flow through you. The truth is grace can be very messy. People don't come to Jesus ready-made. 
They come like all of us came, kind of beat up by sin. In fact, Jesus once said in Luke chapter 5, healthy people don't need a doctor. It's sick people who do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So Jesus wasn't offended by people, and he hung out with the worst. And you might recall in, in the Gospels, he even got criticized a lot for hanging around with people that didn't measure up and so forth. The truth is, and hear me today, you can't look out for the needs of others and look down on them at the same time. Jude chapter 1, well, there's only one chapter in Jude, so verses 22 and 23 of Jude says, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. So this is talking about believers. There are some people in our church, their faith is wavering. You need to show mercy and you need to care about that and help them and strengthen them and pull them back in and help them through their crisis or whatever they're dealing with. And then rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Some believers have gone so far out there that they're going to come under some heavy discipline if they don't get their lives back. You snatch them back and help pull them back. Still others show mercy, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. And this is, of course, talking about the world, people who are in the world. But it, it, we've all, you'd say it, you'd probably say it's true. It's sometimes, it's, we talk about hating the sin and loving the sinner, but sometimes you end up doing both. You hate the sin and the sinner both. And, and God needs to give us love in those kinds of situations and mercy uh, to not be overly, um, I don't know, judgmental and critical of people who don't know Christ, but to lovingly draw them into the Lord. I could give you so many examples about that, but I don't have time. All right, so number two in this message, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Mercy helps us see the need of other people. It helps us to look and see the need. And so let me just share it up by giving you five things that mercy will help you with the loss. Number one, look for people in crisis and listen to them. Your ear can be God's healing tool. Just listen. You, don't, you say, well, what if I don't know how to respond? Maybe you don't need to respond. Maybe just listen to them. Uh, Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So the law of love is manifest in our willingness to carry each other's burdens. All right, number two, look for unmet needs and meet them. Romans 15 verses 2 and 3, each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Now, I would... You know, in thinking about this particular verse, I thought about that small group, that life group that was helping that new mother, you know, to get enough essentials so that she could take care of her new baby. All right. How can I help? That's mercy. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waited right in and helped them. Okay. Number three, look for people who are grieving and comfort them. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Now, verse 4, I underlined it. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. 
So what God has done in you, he's done for the purpose of you doing for somebody else. So don't isolate yourself. You are to be God's hand extended. Then number four, look for people needing friends and share hospitality with them. Romans 12, 13, look for opportunities to be hospitable. Do you know what hospitable means? Invite them over. Take them out to dinner, out to lunch. Invite them to your home. That's hospitality. Don't just do it for your family. Anybody can do that. Do it for new people in the church. Do it for people in your neighborhood that need a hand extended. People who need friends. So if there's somebody in the church that you don't know and you go up and greet them, just ask them, how long have you been attending? And if they say, well, about a month. Are you from out of town? Yeah, we moved here from Phoenix. Oh, yeah, what brought you up here? You know, these are the things that you can just do. Well, why don't you come over to our house for, for dinner on Thursday night? And, uh, well, maybe not this Thursday, but some other Thursday. All right. This, this comes to mind. Okay, and then number five, look for people who need a second chance and give it. 2 Corinthians 2, when people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so they won't give up in, a, in despair. You should make them sure of your love for them. So being merciful doesn't mean that you become a doormat and always let people walk all over you, but I think a lot of us give up way too quickly on our marriages and on our jobs and for some on their neighbors, their education, even on Jesus. Well, I want you to know Jesus never fails and he never needs a second chance, but we do. And he is the God of second chances. Sometimes when things happen in life, I've seen people blame God and walk away from God. It's God's fault. It's not God's fault. But they blame him because sometimes they get this attitude that, well, if God really loved me, he would never allow this to happen to me in the first place. And so they let this barrier come between them and God. What I want you to know is that Jesus is the God of second chances for your life. And if you have failed him, and hear me, who hasn't? If you have failed him, join the rest of the club. You're in a fellowship of a bunch of failures here. That's kind of a depressing way to put it, but... We're, we're victors because of Christ. Sin fa- causes us to fail. Jesus causes us to, to triumph. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.